This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we're back, folks. We are back in the familiar bosom of remote recordings. Our internet has already failed once on this <laughs> attempt to record the podcast remotely for the first time in, what, I think about five weeks. Uh, David and Matt are here. It's amazing, I think, how quickly it became normal again for us to, to record in person together with a dog on one of our laps. And now here we are in our respective offices, David with a new poster behind him, which proudly display, displays his own name uh, just above his forehead, which is going. a brilliant addition to the remote recording situation. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a, a, a nice idea that uh, on a Zoom call just looks incredibly gross. Um, so it's going. Mm. Yeah, Matt's been, been, I mean, we've all sort of been a little bit on holiday, haven't we? There's been a heat wave. We've coped with that mm. uh, with varying degrees of success. <laughs> yes, and the next thing to cope with is not sitting in your armchair for a podcast. I <laughs> don't know how I'm going to get over that. I, do, I can't, I haven't sat in it since <laughs> in the past week. It feels, it feels wrong. And there's no snacks here at all. Mm. It's all wrong. Everything's all wrong, but we will do <laughs> we will do our best to record a vaguely right sounding podcast for you. I mean, I say we're back. Tennis never went away. Tennis has been happening all weeks all week. The wheels of the tennis world have kept on turning. Uh, there have been tournaments, but more importantly, I think there's been a wedding. Top of the agenda. <laughs> Elena Svitolina has married Willy Wonka, and <laughs> it's a lovely thing. Purple attire all round. I mean, it was still a joyful occasion. They looked lovely and happy. It still made my heart sing. But um, like my dad wearing flares on his wedding day, I fear <laughs> in decades to come, he will show those wedding pictures to his children and say, yeah, I regret that. Mm. No, I loved it. <laughs> oh, OK. I'd love to have, uh, I'd love to have tried it on 
and then realized, oh, no, I can't. He can. Um, but uh, that probably applies to most clothing. Uh, Matt, settle, settle the debate. I liked it. It's, okay. it's very Gail Monfils. Okay. Yeah, I just okay. I'm being I'm being uh, I'm being fusty. Wonder who it was, chose it. It was lovely. They looked so happy. I'm so pleased that Gem's life is with us for all eternity. Yeah. Aww. Brackets barring divorce, but yes, with us for all eternity, <laughs> according to the marriage vows, and we wish them very well. Oh yeah. No, nothing more to say no, about that. It, okay. it, it, it's the tennis event of the summer. It was great. It, the tennis event of the summer. And uh, Alina Svitolina's uh, outfit had sort of a little nod to, to tennis wear, didn't it? She's, it was sort of a, a sporty top. Did it? Oh, I didn't really... Mm. I was too busy looking at his jacket. I didn't <laughs> really notice what she got on. Yeah. It was all, uh, it was all very, very and, lovely. And the... Uh, I don't know what that group of French tennis players is called. Simon, Songa, Gasquet and Monfils the sort of new musketeers I don't know no, they're not quite musketeers golden <laughs> golden generation I don't know Les anyway mus- musketeers mm, they were all there which I thought was kind of nice oh are we poisoning them with the golden generation chalice mm. Mm. I think that I think they've already been poisoned with that <laughs> anyway loveliness much loveliness. Um, what else have we had going on in the tennis world this week? We have had Olympics news. Uh, not all of it, not all of it great. In fact, a lot of it, um, a lot of it really not great. We've had Roger Federer, unsurprisingly, I think, pulling out of the Olympics um, due to I think what he described as a setback with his knee injury, which which doesn't sound great. Berrettini's out as well. And we've had Joe Conta, Dan Evans, and most recently Coco Goff having to pull out from playing the Olympics due to testing positive for COVID-19. Obviously, for Conta, that happened on the eve of Wimbledon. She said she she isn't sufficiently recovered to, to be able to give her best at the Olympics. Uh, Dan Evans tested positive more recently and, and Coco Goff just a few days ago, I think. So, oh, I, f- I mean... I. I feel completely pumped about the Olympics. I really do. I'm I'm covering them myself for Eurosport. I'm I'm really glad they're happening. I think they could be wonderful, but I'm I'm so anxious about the COVID situation. Um it feels really on a knife edge. Um and look there there are going to be lots and lots of cases. I'm sure uh the the Tokyo organizing committee have kind of modeled that and have a sort of threshold in mind for how many cases is tolerable and manageable um but it feels really on a knife edge to me yeah it it could i mean it could end up being the event that we i think we're fearing that it might be last year in various tennis events particularly the u.s open remember when we spoke to james blake and we were talking about, well, what happens if you get to the quarterfinals and then suddenly two or three of the draw just can't play uh, and, and things like that. You could end up with races with three in, three out of eight in the final or something like that, um, to which my son said, oh, yeah, but then you get a medal. But it's not quite the point <laughs> I was making. Um, like that year, the, the Scottish bloke won the 100 metres. He looked like he was a 
recruitment consultant. Do you mean Alan Wells in the 1980 I do, I <laughs> do mean Alan Wells. I'll have you know I was up in the middle of the night watching that. <laughs> Very excited. Yeah, and we'll all be up in the middle of the night this time <laughs> around watching, you know, Roy Jones win the javelin. <laughs> Roy Jones, who's <laughs> <laughs> taken a, a career trajectory change from being one of the greatest boxers of all time to become a javelin oh, is that, thrower. Is that already a person? Post career, yes, it is. Oh, right, um, okay. Actually, it's, it's interesting though. When I I, tr- I decided to look on the bright side the other day and do a list of all the names that were playing in the tennis still, because so many had pulled out. And actually, when you looked at it, it's quite a good list because we ha- we've had the news th- this week that Novak Djokovic is playing. I think it wasn't a huge surprise to us. We did expect him to play, as we said, uh, as we said on our last uh, last Wimbledon Daily podcast. But still, to have that confirmation and to know that both world number ones would be going, it felt it felt pretty big, didn't it? Mm. I mean, frankly, I think the enormity of what Djokovic is trying to do and that storyline, his presence the Olympics will be enough to sustain the men's tennis event. And there are, you know, there are some challenges to him. Sitsipas, Medvedev are going to be there. And there's lots of opportunities for players to win medals. So that, I think, will be exciting. And then, yes, there have been some high-profile withdrawals from the women's event, but, my goodness, it's still rammed. I think the top nine players this year in 2021 are all still there. So there's... As you said, Ash Barty leading leading the way, Naomi Osaka coming back. There's so much to look forward to. And I think in, in tennis as well, at the Olympics, the doubles gets elevated as well with, with those medals on the line. And we've got Eben Mahu going for the um oh, going for the career golden slam. I want it for them so much. And it's best of three. So David's theory mm. put to the test. You still have to serve out a match in best of three sets. Though, it's all right, Mo, can do it. All you need is a double break. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think in the past that has proven to be insufficient. But anyway, we wish them we wish them very well. Um, and everyone travelling to the Olympics, fingers crossed for for not just the tennis event, the whole the whole thing. I mean, look, there will be positive cases. That is, I mean, there already are. It's ninety thousand people gathering gathering in one place from all corners of the world but just fingers crossed it remains manageable and the event is a a celebration of sport um, which is absolutely what it deserves to be Um, we have had inductions this week we're going to go all american now and talk about the international tennis hall of fame because there have been some very very significant inductions this week we have had for the first time a group of players inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that is all nine of the original nine, um, which is so wonderful. Billy, name drop, Claxon alert. Billy Jean King was talking about it when we when we saw her over Wimbledon, and you could see the the pride and the sense of achievement at, at that honour being bestowed on the original nine. I mean, yes, it seems so obvious to me that they should be in in the uh, in that Hall of Fame. But equally, you know, it's never been done before and it's it's absolutely right that they should be leading the way and pioneering in, in that department as they always have. So the original nine inducted, Goran Ivanisevic inducted, Conchita Martinez as well um, and posthumously the, the coach, Dennis Vandermeer, they were all inducted and 
And Leighton Hewitt as well was in this group of inductees, but he wasn't able to be there due to, to COVID travel restrictions. Um, so I think the plan is for him to actually receive the honour uh, next year um, when the next batch is inducted. But it it was a really lovely occasion, not just because of the original nine. Um, Billie Jean King obviously spoke and reiterated what the what the intentions were of, of the original nine at, at the time, you know, wanting any girl in the world, if she was good enough to have a place to compete, to be recognised for their accomplishments, not just their looks, and most of all, to be able to make a living playing professional tennis. Um, and she said, history wasn't on our side, but I think we made a lot of things happen. Actually, it was Rosie Casals that said that history wasn't on our side, but I think we made a lot of things happen. Goran Ivanovic, at the start of his speech, he said what an honour it was to be inducted alongside the the original line which was a really nice touch from him I think and actually there were some really heartfelt words from from Goran in that speech he said I can't compare this to anything this is the biggest everything you work for every match every disappointment every tear every loss is coming today um, and I know us Brits don't necessarily always understand halls of fame it's it's just not something exists in the the fabric of our sporting culture but you know it clearly means something and not just to americans and i found those i found those quotes quite moving from goran yeah i'm really glad he went and received that firsthand and was able to give a speech because he he did that thing that he's always done, that ability to connect with an audience by self-deprecation and just being a little bit wild and, and understanding his own career and the effect he had on a pe- on people, on opponents, on coaches who were long-suffering. He gave a, a, a reference to Bob Brett, who's sadly no longer with us, who was one of his, his great coaches. And, and he even said it, it's... I know that my fans have suffered my journey with me. You know, he understood what following Goran Ivanovic must have been like for everybody, but he also gloried and reveled in that. And and I think everybody else does as well. And you're you're amused because you know it wasn't straightforward at any stage of his career. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really chuffed that he was recognised. In that way, and and I think uh, as regards the original nine, I think there were six members of the original nine who were present at the, at the Hall of Fame. I mean, just to just to name the people that that are, we, we roll this 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 name, the original nine, off the tongue, but so rarely mention the actual names of who, of who they were. And I know Billie Jean King is so keen that 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 they are recognised. And and just to run through them very quickly, Peaches Barkovitz. Rosie Casals, Julie Heldman, Billie Jean King, Christy Pidgeon, Nancy Ritchie, Valerie Ziegenfuss, Judy Tegart-Dalton, and Kerry Melville-Reed. Um, Do you know what that list says to me, David? Go on. Got to get eight more dogs. <laughs> Good reason. No, Good no, reason. Nine, because you need Suzanne Longlen as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. God, we're yes. going to have a great time the next Wimbledon, Matt. I mean, we've had a lovely time with Billy Jean, the dog, in the last Wimbledon uh, set of recordings. Yeah, yeah. Nine more dogs. Great. 
done. Um, this is a listener questions special of the tennis podcast. Uh, we've got two of those this week, one today recording on Monday, one uh, that'll be up on Thursday. Uh, but just to bring you up to date with tennis news that we've had since then, or tennis results rather, that we've had since then. We've had a title for Barbora Krachikova in Prague. That's three titles now, all of them this year. I love that she's just quietly cementing that US Open win and just saying, that wasn't a fluke, guys. Um, I'm here um, and I'm a thing and I'm not going anywhere. I, I really love that. She's won 22 of her last 24 matches. And the two she lost were Sviantec in Rome and Barty at Wimbledon, who both went on to win the title. Wow. I mean, she is in some incredible form at the moment. And she's going to the Olympics? Yes. So that'll be that'll be very interesting. We've had a title for Yulia Putin-Saver in Hungary, uh, for Pablo Karenja Buster in Hamburg, for Kasper Rude in Bastard. Um It's the old... Clay court tennis continuing to happen after the the grass court season thing, which uh, boggles my mind a little bit, but there it is. And we've had a title for Kevin Anderson in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, That is a grass court event. And that looked like a really emotional title, I think, for Kevin Anderson, given everything that he's experienced. Uh, Injury kind of being written off, certainly being written out of the the narrative over the past few years and he had his family and his dog on court oh. to collect the trophy it was lovely I, I, f- I feel a little bit sad just not to have paid a lot of attention to any of these results over the last week because i just I've been afraid, too busy with your skip david i was i've been i've loaded half of it um but i it's i needed a break it's too much tennis even for me and um and yet even there, that little half dozen events, all these little storylines, all these these big meaningful moments for these players, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Krishikova is, is she's just demolishing fields, and and it'll be interesting to see how how long that happens. And by, by the way, just on the the note of clay court events post Wimbledon, Denis Shapovalov is playing in Gstaad in Switzerland this week. Yeah, I don't understand that it's a lovely tournament played at altitude and i'm sure it'll suit him down to the ground but where does that fit into the narrative of the tennis year uh, for him for i don't really understand but there we are mm. yeah anyway good luck good luck to dennis shapoval of english star in switzerland speaking of switzerland uh tamir Bashinsky has retired uh, this week again somebody that kind of dropped out of the picture in the last year or so but it's it's easy to forget that she was really a factor for a little while she's a former top 10 player two-time Roland Garros semi-finalist uh, she's a silver medalist in Olympic doubles and just an incredible story she was a child prodigy a really good young junior um she she left the sport completely due to what's an unfortunately familiar story, um, issues with her father, who was her coach. She said her father wanted to live his life through her and she, she said he doesn't deserve to have kids. Um, so just a, yeah, a horrible, horrible situation with her in the early stages 
of her career with her father and having to deal with all of that, she took up a completely alternative career, trained in hotel management um, and ended up, I, th- I think I remember the story because I was working at the French Open at the time. She got a call after she'd retired to say, oh, you're, you're rank- you've got into qualifying at, at the French Open. Your residual ranking has got you in because there have been some withdrawals. And she shoved her rackets in the car and and drove from from wherever she, wherever she was in Switzerland to Paris to play in qualifying and she ended up going on a a run at that French Open um and she kind of went into it just thinking oh well you know might as well see where it goes and kind of restored her love for the sport and I always found her a really bright intelligent vibrant person to, to interview and have around the sport and I think she I think she gave it everything and she's able to retire now with with no regrets. So I wish her very, very well indeed. She's, um, yeah, she's brought a lot to the sport, I think, over the past past decade, particularly at Roland Garros. Yeah, agreed. And and it slightly underlines where we are as well because it's another Olympic year and she won that silver medal in the doubles um, uh, last time around. And uh, I, I agree with you. I've, I, I don't know her personally, but she just comes across so, so well as a human being. She just seems like the sort of person you'd you'd want to know. Mm, yeah, she was one of those, oh, I wish we could be friends players. Yeah. But there is no way in modern society to ask someone to be your friend. You can ask them out on a date, but you can't say, would you like to be my friend? Mm. Oh, I, I, I don't know. No, David, you you can't do that. Why not? Well, good luck to you if you want to try, but um, mm, I fear for your success rate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in, being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times. Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
anyway, let's move on to the listener questions portion of this show, which is which is the main portion of this show. Guest edited by Lynn Charles this week. Brilliantly guest edited. We've appealed for for questions on our various social media platforms. Um, Lynn has curated them. Uh, and we've had some very good ones in, as always. Are we ready to be bombarded? Yes. Go on, Lynn. Yes. Okay. No one's asked about your skip, David. I know. bit disappointed, but it's all right. I'll try mm. and get over it. Question number f- one is from Lynn herself. She asks, was the big four ever really a thing? Or was the moniker a joke? The minute Andy Murray's level drop, it imme- dropped, it immediately became the big three. And his accomplishments aren't really discussed. My take on this is that it will once it's all done and dusted, once everybody's retired, once we're into the next generation, the next wave of tennis, it will be remembered as the big three overall. But that's not to say that there wasn't a time when it very genuinely was the big four. Andy Murray was as big a factor and as competitive at Grand Slams as the other three. And at times more so than than various ones of the other three. It was a in the various scheme of the big three slash four, that was a, I think it's going to end up being a relatively short period of the wider, wider golden generation. But it was real for that time. 100%. I will defend the existence of a big four in men's tennis to anyone there was a big four I think it was more than just a moment in time I think it was a a span of five six seven years it was it was a real period there where Murray was alongside Federer Nadal and Djokovic on a week-to-week basis competing for the biggest tournaments in tennis, he he may not he may not have won as many, but he was there, and I think that to me is what makes it a big four rather than a big five. With Wawrinka, I think Wawrinka did an incredible job as an outside force, muscling his way in and winning some big titles. But Murray's consistent presence meant that there was a big four, and big four and big three don't have to be mutually exclusive you know the the big three can exist as well and does and I agree with you that probably will be what is most remembered in tennis as as we look at their 20 plus slams each but Murray was there Murray was part of a big four and I will yeah I will not have anyone say that that there wasn't a big four it's going well for Lynn our guest editor so far isn't it Matt is (laughs) Matt is prepared to argue with you to the death, <laughs> Lynn. <laughs> David? Yeah, I, my only annoyance is when it's used in the present tense because occasionally it gets used in the present tense almost as though it's just a given that there is, it's like the big four, people say those words. And there, is, there hasn't been a big four in a few years. I mean, frankly, there hasn't been a big three for a few years. Well, no, yeah. no, I think that's fair. Um, but, you know, Roger Federer did at least very nearly win Wimbledon two years ago. Um, but for for a period of time, you're quite right. I mean, Andy Murray, when he won Wimbledon in 2013, that was his second major title. Djokovic had six at that time. So he wasn't that far ahead. 
Um, and Murray would then go on to win another Wimbledon, a Davis Cup, another Olympic gold, two Olympic singles golds, and reach world number one. So for that period, he was he was right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously things have accelerated away. His physical decline being a major factor in that, I'm sure. Um, and and it wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting to know how that alternative reality might have worked out had he not got injured? I know you can probably say that about anybody, but his was so stark compared to all the others because there's never been any chance to properly come back. Um, but yeah, for, for that period, unquestionably, he and it was a it was a wonderful period of the sport. Mm. There was a big fall. Lynn, it wasn't just in all of our imaginations. Our second question comes from Dave Levy, who has access to all of us via WhatsApp, but still feels the need to to hog the listener question special. Uh, but here he is. He's such a good friend of the pod that he made it to Tennis Podcast Towers during Wimbledon, despite not having won any Grand Slam titles. <laughs> An imposter. <laughs> an imposter in Podcast Towers and now an imposter in our listener question special. He asks, what's the biggest thing that people outside of tennis don't understand about tennis? Um, mm. Well, can I go first? Sure. Um, A, how hard it is. Just how grueling it is. Um the, the lower rungs of the circuit particularly i was i was looking at I, I i was looking at one of the apps showing all the results of the itfs the other day and there was uh the young british player aiden McHugh won a twenty five thousand tournament and he gets 20 points for that and he gets three thousand euros um i mean i don't know how much he's making once he's made the trip and all the rest of it and and, and what else goes into it and and he's he's won the title, but it's it really hits you when you see some of the the circumstances, some of the places they're playing, but also just how violent the sport is. Okay, it may not be physical violence to each other, but the the stress is on the body. That you, you people don't understand this sport unless they go and stand next to a court during a brutal practice session in the heat or a, a qualifying match where somebody's just trying to get into a draw to make any money at all um and uh i i remember getting really annoyed once on a trip to the australian open with a with a we had a five live bbc five live meetup with the cricket team and there was a member of that cricket team that was quite dismissive of tennis as a, as a sort of as a sport as just being this jolly patter cake sport um and i got really irritated by this because it's it was so ignorant to what it's really like and unless you go courtside and that's i mean i'm talking about i go courtside in qualifying at grand slams imagine what it's like going to the itf's events when it, when there's no money and there's hardly any facilities and you there are people qualifying to get into those i just can't imagine how these players stick at it their love for the sport their determination to make it work when you get when you're getting disappointed so often most weeks you're losing um i think it's a really tough sport the the upsides are worthwhile but it's it must be lonely it must be so easy to just think i'll forget it well 
what you've done there, David, is give Dave a follow-up question for our next listener question show, which is, please tell me who the BBC cricket commentator was. <laughs> one for WhatsApp, was off tennis. <laughs> yeah, that's one for WhatsApp, Dave. Matt, it, what is... Uh, <laughs> What's your answer? Well, I think that's I think that's a great answer from David. My mind went actually to the role of agents and management companies because I think that's that's something that I really noticed when I started talking on this podcast a few years ago and spending more time with both of you actually was how when a when a new player comes along I th- I think both of you quite instinctively think, "Oh, who's the agent?" and I think you come to understand and realize the importance that agents and management companies can have on shaping a player, uh, what it reveals a bit about their character with with, with who their agent is, um, how it impacts the decisions they make in this sport. And I just think if you're watching purely as a fan, an agent is a completely inconsequential person. You, You might see them in a player box, you might have no idea who it is, but actually, that's someone who's having a big impact on a on a tennis player. Um, you know, you can like a player, you can know all about their results and everything, but you just don't get that window, I don't think, from the outside. That I think I think it's certainly particularly important for journalists because you know it's through agents that you get access to players and all that kind of thing. But yeah, that was something to me, and just understanding how that works. Like you know, like we found out that. Emma Raducanu had got a wild card into the San Jose event, and then you dig a little deeper, and you and you realise it's an IMG owned event. She's an IMG client. Things like that. Just, I think you have to be have an understanding of the inner workings of the sport to really know a bit more about that side of things. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say something. I, I guess quite similar to that, which is the lack of transparency in some of the commercial elements of of the sport. Um, maybe not lack of transparency, but just lack of promotion of of how significant those elements are. Appearance fees, for example, is something that I think most casual tennis fans would have no idea how huge a factor they are in every event below 1,000 level. You know, mostly the players that show up at smaller events, it's almost entirely determined by by appearance fees and that's not necessarily a horribly sinister thing if appearance fees didn't exist then exhibition events would pop up and you know it it, it is a it's a commercial free market in that respect and and players would be lured away from the smaller events in favor of big money exhibitions but you know I, I still think it's something that I mean maybe most casual fans wouldn't be that interested but I uh, trying to put myself in the mindset of casual tennis fan me 10 15 years ago I think I would definitely have been interested in in those commercial workings and how they they intersect with the sort of um the competitive side of the sport and yeah that that applies to to what you say about agents as well you know you can tell you can tell from who the agent is sort of how what the commercial value of a young player is perceived to be you know it's always interesting to know whether a player has been signed up with a with a big agent since they were 14 you know as a much tight potential prospect or whether only after they start getting results they get sort of snapped up and noticed by by the big agency I just think 
all of that side of the sport is just a little bit murky, I think. Um, and maybe it's only because I'm a tennis insider nerd person that I find it interesting. Um, but I think a lot of tennis fans would would find that interesting. Be interesting to know whether that changes now in the future mm. with tournaments just saying we can't afford to pay appearance money anymore. You know, it'd be, uh, and whether players will, would end up playing less or or what. But yeah, I agree. It is interesting. Would would exhibition events just pop up in their in their place if tour level events aren't able to pay? I mean, obviously, the, the, the tours would try and make that, try and counteract those market forces by, I mean, they already do, don't they? require that each player play a certain number of, of events at each at each level, but still. Um, yeah, just a bit of transparency and all of that. So so fans who are, who are paying a lot of these appearance fees with their, with their, ticket money you know aren't, aren't in the dark about it um we have a next question which i originally read as being from serena williams it is not from serena williams it is from simon williams uh on instagram simon asks if you could choose one shot that you could inherit from any player past or present what would it be i would go uh something Really pathetic, which I'm sure totally reflects badly on my personality, but a really flashy feet off the ground into out single handed backhand winner that wouldn't win me any matches, but would feel <laughs> would feel darn good while I'm hitting it. And I'd just stand there and admire it. I think that's mm. great because those are the exact shots which also get you really annoyed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I love them in the moment, mm. but they get yeah. Catherine really annoyed until they s- don't back it up with actual tangible results. Uh, she kind of enjoys that for yes. a certain period of There's time. The rush of the actual shot, yeah. And then I know, and then I hate myself for it. And then it. she's convinced yeah. that results will follow very, very quickly. And then when they, well, st- if you can do that then you should be able to do everything else in the sport because yeah. it's obviously the hardest thing. And then when they to stop... do that and then not be able to serve properly she starts is, getting is kind unforgivable. Of offended by the fact that they're going for these shots when they're not winning matches? <laughs> Doesn't matter whether they make them. No, don't give me that. Go and win normal points. Hmm. Yeah, but they're, they're professionals. Their job is to win matches. I just want the pure endorphin hit of being able to hit a shot like that. Hmm. That's what I want. You're going to go for something really boring, aren't you, David? Oh. You're going to say... I think you're going to say Pete Sampras's serve. I am going for a Pete Sampras shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the serve. It, in fact, I actually chose two Pete Sampras shots and I've had to choose between them. Um, so the one I'm going for is the running forehand from Pete Sampras. And I, I think the what's common in any shot that I would choose is the one that changes the sound of the crowd from just general silence or hum to a suddenly (gasps) that moment. And uh, his running forehand is usually played when he's been pushed out really wide and it looks like he's on the back foot. He's He's getting dominated. And this is one single momentum changer in a rally because he would hit it full on, flat, cross court, and suddenly he's in charge. 
and I I used to and it was so reliable as well. He could do that time in and time out. Uh, and the other one just that I was going for, which is very much a, a showboating shot, was his slam dunk smash. But you know, other players play that. No, I, I've never seen anybody come up with as good a running forehand cross court, particularly as Sampras. Could I just say though, David, you only get the shot from Sampras. You have to do the running yourself. <laughs> oh, hold on. So no, the running is whether part you would of ever be whether you would ever be in the position to hit. No, the running for no, it no. might be an it might end up being a redundant tool. I borrow his panther-like legs for about mm, no, I two don't. seconds. No, no, no. I no. made the rules. No, <laughs> Matt, what you got? Well, I probably put too much thought into this, and <laughs> I wanted to follow Mary Corello's rules for tennis, which I think we should always remind everyone of, and they are: have a weapon, hide your weakness and hold your serve. Now, let's be honest, I can't really do any of those. But if there's one I can do, it's it's a weapon. I have a... Oh, he's going to talk about his backhand again, David. Is he, is he going to have his own shot? <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> I've got a weapon, the backhand, so I need to cover... He's got a world-class backhand. Why, bo- why, bother, why bother taking Marcelo Rios' backhand when you've already got Matt Roberts's? Quite. Doesn't need it. Quite. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Um, so I need to cover one of the other two things, and I'm going to go with holding serve because I think that's fundamental. And I'm going to pick Serena Williams' serve because I actually try and fail to think of Serena Williams' serve whenever I'm serving anyway. It's such a smooth motion. just feels like nothing can go wrong with it. turns out it can if you, if you try and copy it. You actually have to have her ability to pull it off. But the way that that shot has won her matches has kept her, I think, such a strong force into her late 30s. It's been fundamental to her success. And just imagine having that and the confidence it would give the rest of your game if you know you've got that as a as a tool. Um, I, just think it's, I just think it's a beautiful shot Serena Williams' serve, and I would love it. Mm, so you've gone for wins. David and I have gone for fleeting glory. <laughs> Extravagance. I think we've all confirmed our personality types uh, with this question. The next one is really, I mean, it's a great question. Lots of people have been asking it. Um, but I, I fear, I fear none of us have a, an answer. It's, it's, in your opinion, what's happened to Dominic Team? this year can he turn it around or might he become a one and done major winner Allah, his fellow countryman Thomas Muster I wish I knew what had happened to Dominic Team this year look I know he's had a couple of injury niggles it, it, the, the wrist injury that kept him out of Wimbledon did look like quite a serious if not a, a long term thing um, and I don't think we focused on it too much because, let's face it, even Dominic Team in a good year probably wouldn't be a contender at Wimbledon. So um, it kind of didn't change the nature of our discussions that much, the fact that Dominic Team wasn't there. But, yeah, OK, look, very understandable and to be expected that there would be a dip after the US Open. But given the nature of Dominic Team's personality and how single-minded and... Um, uncomplicated he is in his approach to tennis I suppose Um, 
I am quite surprised by the extent to which he seems to have lost motivation. Um, he he does seem to have lost a bit of power on his strokes. That's uh, what I remember from watching him at at the U.S. Open, he uh, at the at the French Open rather. He seems a bit underpowered, um, and. I don't think it's because he's working any less hard in the gym. I can't I can't imagine him giving anything less than a hundred percent effort. So I think I think it is mental and I and I it didn't it had never even come close to occurring to me until very recently that he might not win other majors. I had just assumed, not that he would necessarily go on and mop up ten of them, but I had assumed he would win three or four, let's say. And I still do just about think he will win more. He's too good not to, I still think. But I am just just a little bit more tentative in that than I was. This is a, this is a more worrying situation than I thought it was. And I don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to either of you? Uh, well... It's certainly more worrying because he, he's now got a serious injury which extends things. He can't work his way through it, which is what I expected him to do and be okay again sooner. Um, I, I suspect, and it is only just a guess, that it is, and he has talked about it to some degree, just the scaling of the mountain, reaching the summit and then thinking, right, well, where do I go now? Even just inside, I think that that's, that's happened to him. Um and then he's got badly injured. Um, it, I, I was surprised that it didn't come back to him before he got injured in, in the tournaments that he was playing. I thought he would he would make greater strides than he did. But I do expect him to return as long as he can get physically okay again because you never know with that. But as long as physically he, he gets back to where he was, I think he will regain his thirst, his hunger, and he's so explosive I do agree with you. He he lost something on his strokes. Not exactly sure what that was, but he's just naturally explosive, and I think that that will that will come back to us in years to come and make us go, "Wow, he that's who he was." Yeah, I think you've both summed it up very well. Um, I've been not not surprised, but I've been pleased, I suppose, with how open team has actually been about talking about what he's been experiencing. I, I do think he has led us in quite a lot this year to what he's feeling. Uh, he, he talked a lot about that lack of motivation. Um, he talked a lot about general fatigue of bubble life. And I think the confusing part was when he came back and it f- initially felt like he was, he'd been rejuvenated after taking a break and he came back on the clay and he did he did quite well in Madrid and there were some really good signs but as you said he never kicked on in, and, and actually he regressed over the clay court season and, and it had looked like he'd lost that power and then he went and got injured in Mallorca wasn't it on the grass um wrist injuries always concern me I don't know whether that's because they've just been some very prominent ones in the time I've been watching tennis um and the the violence with which he hits the ball it just it just worries me um but like you said he's such a good player if he and such a hard worker that if he if he can get that fitness back 
I really do think he will be contending for more majors. Um, I, I don't know if that equates to winning more, but I certainly would like to think that team in his late 20s has got plenty of time ahead of him to get back to pretty much where he was. Um, I think, you know, this year is pretty much a write-off. Start again next year and and see where he goes. I think we probably need more time to judge. Yeah, coming into the the hard court season off the back of an injury, having had a bad year, a bad and confidence-damaging year, is not necessarily where you want to be when defending your first... when defending a Grand Slam title for the first time. I... I would suspect that he would quite like to just get that experience over and done with. I don't I don't know, he's not spoken about it yet. I'm sure he'll be interrogated about about it at length when he does come to defend that title, but um I would be surprised if I'm picking him for the US Open in a few weeks time. Let's is put he it that realistically way. going to be able to play it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I wondered that. I mean, we are now living in a world where Taylor Fritz has gone from knee surgery to winning rounds at Wimbledon within three weeks. So I don't know, but it, well, wasn't it in a cast for five weeks? And that mm. was, I think, about eight weeks before the US Open. It's got to be touch and go. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, we wish him well. We're wishing lots of people well in this podcast. Que- uh, the next question comes from Bondi Born on Instagram. If women played best of five sets, which player, playing style, personalities would benefit the most? I mean, the short answer to that is that I think it it benefits the best players. Mm, I mean, I we, we've we've seen that we've seen that with the big three slash four. Depending on how you want you want to look at it, it is. It has enhanced their grip and monopoly at the top of the game. I mean, just see the difference between how vulnerable they are at slams and outside of slams. And I know part of that is that they are masters in peaking at the biggest tournaments. And as their long, long careers have gone on, they have become more and more slam focused. But still, I think best of five sets is a is a massive factor in that as well. So... The short, non-player-specific answer is that I think it would widen the gap between the the very best and and the rest. I think I think Serena would have twenty-four by now if it were if it were best five set best of five sets at Slams. Um, I think it would benefit Asaka, who can sometimes you know she she can just she has these surges in matches. Doesn't she? she needs? She sometimes needs to to bide her time in a match before finding her absolute best. So the more time there is to do that, the less vulnerable she is, I think. Um, but that's probably quite a a boring boring answer, and not the one that Bondi born was hoping to get. Any anybody got anything better for for Bondi born? I, I think there's a category of player like Angelique Kerber or in the past Caroline Wozniacki or Arantxa Sanchez Vicario who are attritional players who just have fantastic engines who can keep going and actually get better as a match goes along. Uh, Stan Wawrinka I think has benefited that in the men's game. We've seen Nadal and Djokovic and Murray, these incredible five-set records they have. Obviously, they're also the best players, as you say it. But I think there is a category of player 
for instance, I, what would have happened in Angelique Kerber in uh, against Ash Barty had that been best of five at Wimbledon? I don't, I don't know is the answer, but but I mean, I would love to have found out. And I think there are matches that Kerber has played that she could have turned around in the distance that she maybe just didn't have time to turn around in the best of three. Mm. Yes, I remember her losing to Jennifer Brady at the US Open last year, and she was getting destroyed, but she was just starting to work her way back into the match before it was just over in two sets. I think that's a that's a great shout. Sara Saribes Tormo, imagine her over five sets. Oh, goodness! And I guess Maria Sakkari would be another one who I would yeah. I would put in that category of player that you've come up with there, David. But ultimately, I do think mainly it's it is the best players more time to recover from slow starts you're asking underdogs to sustain that higher level for longer you know we've seen it and particularly as you said we've seen it as the big three let's use that term as the big three have aged how how their results have stayed pretty much the same in the slams and less so at the other events Mm. Let's finish off. Let's finish off this edition of Listener Questions. We've got another one coming on Thursday, uh, with another question from Lynn, our guest editor, who asks, "Who do you each think will be the next woman to win her maiden major in singles?" P.S. Lynn, very good. Billie Jean King approved use of major <laughs> rather than Grand Slam. Coco Golf. Oh, okay. Has he just gone in there with Coco Golf? Yes, he yeah. said it right. Okay. Why? <laughs> I think she's really, really good. <laughs> she hasn't won one yet. Um, but it's, it's the sheer rate of improvement. And I, I don't think there is scar tissue mentally there that is going to hold her back. Once she gets in position to win one, I think she just goes and wins one. Wow. Okay. I mean, I certainly have Coco Goff as winning one. Hmm. So you've got her doing that ahead of Sabalenka, David? Yeah, I I did deliberate on that, but I think that there are already problems developing for Sabalenka, who I think will get over the line. I think her her sheer weight of shot will get her over the line, but I think that Goff may do it first. Mm. She might. It's certainly between Goff and and Sabalenka for me, but I I, I suppose you could possibly put Maria Sakkari in there um and then you're looking at you know your your abakanas or your um i almost said kuzmova there matt but i mean kostyuk mukova mukova i thought you were gonna mukova. say mukova mm. i'd put sabalenka mm. ahead of those i think jen brady clara Towson. he's just saying names now <laughs> i mean this feels like a question comes up a lot and we sort of need to update our discussion of it and in the period in which we haven't discussed it someone who we've not talked about has inevitably won one and that's Barbora <laughs> yeah. Krejcikova um, I don't think any of us would have answered Krejcikova to this question six months ago so I think it's possible that someone could come out of nowhere a little bit like that not that she was nowhere but you know we'd have probably said mm. what the doubles player yeah exactly mm. um I think the big question here is whether Arena Sabalenka showed you enough at Wimbledon to think that she might have cracked the slams. I think a few months ago I wouldn't have said Sabalenka would win a slam, but actually I was really taken with what she did at Wimbledon. 
winning when she wasn't playing her best, winning some tough matches against Bolter, Rebecca, matches she would have lost, I think, in the past. I think she, I think she made big strides at Wimbledon. So I would, I would probably go with her. Um, there's also Karolina Pliskova, who still hasn't won. Who Ash Barty is certain will will win a will win a slam. Mm. I mean, I'm I would still say no to Pliskova, mm. but I think there's there's case to be made now that it could be her after Wimbledon. Um, I think Goff still has more improvements to make, a lot more, and she's making them so quickly. I just I would just be surprised if she can fend off some of these really great players at the top of the game to win a slam within the next year. It's interesting that nobody said Svitolina, isn't it? Mm. I, I actually thought she was part of my thought process of best of five, that she might benefit from that because she's so fit. Mm. Yeah. But no, I, I don't think she's going to win one. She, Pliskova and Sabalenka are the, the three members of the top ten that haven't won a slam. And below that, you've got Bencic, Brady, uh, Mertens, Pavlichenkova, Sakari, Rabatkina. Um, and then you're going down to Jabur and Mukova at 23 and 24. Jabur, Mukova and Goff at 23, 24, 25 in the rankings. And Madison Keys at 26, also somebody that nobody's mentioned. I think I would, I would edge Sabalenka. But I don't feel confident about it. I do, mm. I do agree with you, David, about the scar tissue. That's my that's my worry for for Sabalenka. Um, but I, God, to to think that she could retire without winning a slam is just surely not. I know people do. I know talented people do. But surely she'll get there. You know, this was a massive breakthrough for her. She hadn't got past the fourth round of a slam. It was also should... a massive chance. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, it was. Barty was playing the best tennis in the tournament, I think. And actually, I think that's a factor. I think it's going to get harder to become mm. a first-time winner. You know, we've got the next two slams, uh, hard-court slams. Naomi Osaka's dominated those in recent years. If Andrescu's fit, she's a factor. Sviontek, Barty. I think we're going to see players with multiple majors out of that crop. Mm. Um, so there'll be the occasional major to pick off, perhaps, for a first-time winner. But I don't think we're going to see as many in the next five or six years if we, as we have seen in the last few years. Mm. Yeah, interesting one. Very interesting. Um, I think that's it for edition one of Listener Questions. We've, of course, got another one coming on Thursday when there'll be plenty more. Thank you, Lynn, our expert guest editor, ably assisted by Cooper. Lynn doesn't know this, but she has been ably assisted by Cooper, our mascot for the week. Cooper is, and Matt's written this, a 12 or 13-year-old beagle belonging to Robert and Monica. Is that an is that an admin question question mark on your part? Is that a <laughs> where is the where is the doubt over Cooper's age arising from, Matt? I think Cooper was a rescue dog, and they they don't right. know for sure. Oh, Cooper is a beagle, and he's lovely. I saw a woman yesterday when I was walking Billie Jean in the park, walking three beagles, and it looked like a lot. 
they're lovely lovely dogs very energetic i think and um spirited mm. three of any dog sounds like a lot actually to be honest <laughs> cooper is very well traveled we have a we have a picture of cooper in front of the duomo in milan here and cooper's been to over <laughs> 20 countries i'm told has he mm. how what's his mode of transport you're doing that thing where you ask a follow-up <laughs> question which I don't have the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really want to know if uh, Cooper's owners, Robert and Monica, could get in touch and let us know exactly how uh, Cooper traverses the globe. Mm. I would very much appreciate that. So thank <laughs> what, you, Cooper. What are the options here? Like some sort of motorbike that goes <laughs> through the air? Or a sidecar. <laughs> yeah well it's you can't take in the in in europe you can't take dogs on planes so oh i think surely you could take billy jean i mean she's there's nothing on her she's tiny i know in your pocket unless i do a martina de rattle over and sneak her in my handbag (laughs) um so that's cooper our lovely mascot for the week we of course have our mascots scouser mouse or rogue and zeus uh billy jean has billy jean king uh, we still have Chris Albert Lee, our executive producer. He's a top bloke. And we don't have shout outs today, but we've already shouted out to all of the original nine. So I think they will be our honorary shout outs mm. for the week. David's done a big yawn. <laughs> Thank you, David. That is that is not the behaviour of a man that's got an entire industrial size skip to fill today. <laughs> I need a nap first. I've been, you've, you've, you've rubbed off on me, Catherine. Uh, by the time we next record this podcast David I want pictures of that skip positively overflowing right Mm. Mm. and can and I think we should just say for anyone who's waiting for their shout out shout outs will return oh yes later in the year we're just saving a few up we're just keeping people on the edge of their seat yes Mm. so please don't email me with with your where's my (laughs) shout out (laughs) Uh, so yes be on the edge of your seat for uh, further updates about david's skip situation on thursday the possibility of of shout outs we'll decide uh, when and where to deploy our remaining shout outs and more answers to your questions come thursday and then of course next week we'll be back talking tennis uh we'll have we're going to do four daily olympics podcasts from the thursday onwards so that'll be from the quarterfinal stage of the singles competition so we'll have a listener questions episode on thursday we'll be back with a normal weekly podcast next monday and then we'll have four bumper bonus daily olympics podcasts for you when i will try and contain my olympic fever or maybe i just won't try and contain don't, it don't bother Why? Let it overflow. That'll fill a podcast. (laughs) Right then. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. We'll speak to you on Thursday. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.